Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that didn't appear before a Senate Estimates Committee this week. We should have. I'm Scott Phillips. <laughs> he is Andrew Page. Mate, no one asks us, do they? No Where's one our asks invitation? us. Well, well, we'll tell them anyway, even if no one's listening. <laughs> shout, shout into the void. <laughs> Governor Lowe doesn't do two hours of podcasts a week, does he? That's right, Phil. What are you doing? He's I wouldn't trade places, policy. though. No, I'm, no. Not, I'm glad I'm not oh, being grilled on. by, for, by for Estimates Committee. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I'm very easily bought, mate. I, there there, there, there might be easier me. ways to earn a million dollars, but uh, it's a big payday. It'd be hard to, hard to knock that one back. Um, look, <laughs> I, I've, I've completely gone past the intro because, of course, I need to know that if you are allegedly the managing director, chief cook and bottle washer, and founder of strawman.com, you should at least be able to tell the good people, the good burgers of podcast land, the good users of the pod machine, what on earth is a business called strawman.com? <laughs> we're just an investment club. We're, but not just we're, an investment club. It's we're we're, on, one, we're online only and we're private. So you, um, yeah, closed doors, behind the velvet rope, so to speak. I like it. I like it. Of course, The Motley Fool does you know, investment advice for the everyday self-directed investor. The phrase Andrew much prefers over retail investor. Normal <laughs> people who don't get paid a squillion dollars sit in a shiny glass building in the middle of uh, Bridge Street in Sydney or wherever. Where's uh, Melbourne's central finance hub? Do you know? Is it Collins Street? I think it's Collins Street. I, I should know. I, I don't. Sorry. Sorry. No. Melbournians, yeah. Even, even then, the ASX really is not. I mean, it's officially on Bridge Street, but I don't think that's where the computers are. Uh, but yes, not not quite Wall Street. Doesn't have quite the same ring, but anyway. Let me give what- a, a quick shout out and welcome to some oh. new members, actually. So we only open once every six months or so. We did okay. last last week. So yeah, a whole, whole bunch. And I know um, just uh, talking to a few that um, a good a good amount are uh, regular listeners to the pod. So yeah, just a, a <laughs> shout out and a hello and a welcome to, to all our new members. Great to have there you, on you go. Too much Andrew Page is never enough. You can be a straw man member and you can listen to the podcast. Or, of course, you can be a Motley Fool member and listen to the podcast. And for those who don't know, Andrew and I worked together at the Motley Fool not that long ago before Andrew went across to uh, start the billion-dollar enterprise that is strawman.com. Um, mate, uh, that's enough plug for you. Hey, I'm going to do one more plug for me because I, I am... I'm a bit passionate about the ETF investor. I've talked to you about that before. It's one of those things. Yeah. If you're a new listener, look, we, we pick stocks for a living, right? And and I was asked a couple of times when we launched ETF investor, but don't you guys pick stocks? What's the ETF thing? And it just came down to the fact that a lot of people want ETFs and that's what they're doing and they want us to help. And we, we get lots of questions about them on the podcast. So most people here listening are either ETF investors or share investors and that's both great you can do both by the way you can have more than one Motley Fool service as many of our members do um, I just want to give ETF investor a plug mate because I, yeah, if it's not you listening but you have family friends kids relatives uncles aunties whatever it is um, and they just want a really 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 simple way to get a really really average market return which is a great number by the way I say really average like it's a bad thing really average is a great <laughs> thing in investing um, so fool.com.au forward slash join dash ETF dash investor really simple join ETF investor throw some dashes between those join dash ETF dash investor 29 bucks a year I'm not going to do the T's it's just stupid cheap so uh, if if you can't get some value out of a $29 12-month membership for ETF Investor, I'd be remarkably surprised. By the way, if you're a member of any of our other Motley Fool services and you're listening, uh, you haven't had a chance. It's actually free. We've actually made this one free for every Motley Fool member. 
Uh, so you can join it directly for 29 bucks. You can join any other Motley full service and access ETF Investor through our member center. So again, I, 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 you gave your plug, man. I'll give mine. Um, again, the full makes some money out of it, and so fine. But 29 bucks a sub, trust me when I say we're not going to be... Um, it, might, it might pay for a lunch or two, um, but it's not, uh, not going to break the bank. I just hope it helps some people. And I really want... It would make me very, very happy if this was the service that had the largest number of members across the entire Motley Fool universe. Not because we're going to make a fortune out of it, just because I think we can help some people. And uh, frankly, you know, yes, we do this for a bit of free pu- plug, free publicity for Strawman and the Motley Fool. Uh, but anyway, I do this because we love it and we love to help more people just get on the investing train. So if you're not already, uh, do that. If you're doing stocks and you're happy with that, then awesome. We've got plenty of other services, by the way. Strawman's got some stuff as well. But um, again, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't use either. Just if you want to invest in ETFs, you know someone who does, give that a go. Is that enough plugs, mate? Uh, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Spotify if you're listening and you Spotify. know you want to follow up follow up on the Joe Rogan deal and you know maybe send us gonna- a billion dollars. We'll give you an exclusive contract oh. <laughs> worth every cent, obviously. The good people at Listener who uh, publish this, Andrew, will be very, very unhappy that you said that. Oh, look, I'm not fussy. Listener, <laughs> Listener can offer a, a, a you know, massive contract as well. There you go. We're here. We're here. <laughs> we are here. Come we talk are, to exactly, us. Exactly. We are, we are worth much, much, much more. <laughs> In fact, all, all the listeners should pay triple what they're paying now for our services, is what I would exactly. say. And exactly. And still get plenty of value out of it because triple zero is still zero last I checked. Uh, speaking of which, mate, zero was where interest rates were almost anyway. Mm. Only seven, eight, nine short months ago. Uh, they now are much higher, 3.35, and could keep going from here, which is a very awkward but very clever. See the way I did that? Segue into mentioning that Governor Philip Lowe spoke to Senate estimates on Wednesday. Now, we record this on Thursday morning, as the listeners well know. I think he's actually speaking to the House of Reps Committee on Friday morning. So uh, we might even need to do an addendum to this episode, depending on what happens. If, if he resigns or throws these toys out of the cot or gets up and jumps on the desk or something, then maybe we'll have to, we'll have to add something to this one. But he did speak to Senate on Wednesday. Um, almost an anticlimax, mate. Notable for its consistency, maybe more than anything that actually kind of came out from it. Yeah, and it just the you know the thing that really stuck out for me is just it's the theatre of it. Yeah, like it's really become a, a I hate like the, me. You know, I, I me too. I hate it yeah. so much, and I know we keep making the point. It's obviously a very important position, very uh, impactful what the RBA does, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. But Ross Gittins actually had an excellent. Just shout out to him. Um, he gave an excellent article on the yeah. uh, SMH and Age throughout the week just sort of talking about like this stupid focus on this mm-hmm. and this this belief that he can just do everything with his one lever but yeah that uh, that stuck out but I mean here's the other thing as well I, I do note that whenever you have uh, an interview or discussion a grilling whatever you want to call it and there's a big information asymmetry yeah you know that philip Lowe probably didn't enjoy the experience no <laughs> one's gonna get a gotcha i mean like he knows so yeah. much more yeah. about economics that's, that's than the actually people true. questioning that's you know true. and so they yeah. they ask these gotcha questions and even if what you think his response is was this doesn't you know you might disagree with with the interpretation <laughs> god it sounds smart and no one's got any follow-ups because it's just they're so out of their, yeah, their right. depth because it's that's such right. a specialized topic which i'm not mm. not having a go at but it is it just comes back to theater we people are unhappy we need to show that, that that there are consequences and you know it's it's all a bit depressing really 
Yeah. Um, not to stick up for Philip no Lowe, by the way. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve... Just to clarify this point yeah. <laughs> before people think I'm an apologist for central bankers. I'm not. Yeah. But it's just... It's, it's you know, I don't know what mm. I don't know what people are expecting mm. to happen. You made a point during the week on, on Twitter. It's, it's just sort of like, look, it's a lesser of two evils. There's, there's two choices here as far as, as far as the central bank is concerned. Mm. Which one do you want? And, uh, you know, anyway, it's, it's all nonsense. Yeah, I... Uh- <laughs> I've been. I, I'm actually. I come. I come around to being meaningfully supportive of the Reserve Bank as a as an entity, in the sense that I've, we've talked about this before. But we've talked about the role of fiscal policy. Um, I just it drives me a little bit nuts that you've got two groups of people. One who says monetary policy is doing the wrong thing because, and it's not, they're not even wrong. But to say Philip Lowe's made a mistake because he's using monetary policy to fix this problem, like. Dude, unless the treasurer says, "Hey, Phil, I'm out of here. Do you want to come and get take my job?" He's got he, like that's that's all he's got, right? So there's yeah. that, um, and and then just the general. Uh, honestly, I think, and I don't even necessarily, I don't blame people for feeling a bit uh, uncomfortable, annoyed, mad, cranky, whatever, because uh, rates are up, and, and I think a lot of the complaints are just coming from people who are paying more on their mortgages, and they're just like, "Of course it is. Oh, this, this, this is exactly ex- what it this is. This is more expensive, and so this sucks." And it's like, yeah. Yeah, you need guys, someone to like, blame. Right? Get, get the pitchforks out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And the police aren't going to stand in the way because, hey, if they're blaming low, they're not blaming them. So that's okay. And, you know, I, Brilliant. I, I, a yep. special, a special um, Naki shout out to Nick McKim, who thinks that the treasurer should sack um, Phil Lowe for, for doing what's necessary to control inflation based on the one tool he's got. Mm. Uh, it, it just, it, I, I, as you say, the theatre really, really gives me the ear. It's, uh, you know, and mostly, you know why it actually annoys me most? A, it's just stupidity, but. B, I mean, there you go. I'm talking about offending people. Uh, mm-hmm. But B, the, the, the my bigger concern, I think, is that it actually means we then have less sharing of expertise, knowledge. You know, we're not, we're not well, not you and I, you and I hopefully doing this, educating people as to what's going on and why. Even if mm-hmm. we don't necessarily agree with what they do all, the whole time, the, the mechanisms of, of this sort of economic management are really important and they're important yeah. to know. And for everyone who says, yeah, well, the RBA just sucks because, yeah. it's one less person who could otherwise be hearing, hey, I know this is painful, here's what they're doing, here's why. Even if you don't agree with it, here's, here's the rationale, here's the theory, here's how monetary and fiscal policy work, this is what it's designed for, this is why they're doing it. You know, that, that would end up with a much more informed populace, electorate, society, call it what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it just That's the bit that annoys me most, actually, is that is that as soon as you, it's a bit like shock jockery, right? Once you revert to the lowest common denominator, don't, you don't, mm-hmm. not that it's everyone's job to educate everybody, but a more realistic, nuanced conversation about, I disagree with this, but they're doing it because why? Yeah. And I disagree because Zed, great, that's really useful. Yeah. When it's just, oh, bloody Phil Lowe's putting rates up again, doesn't he care? It's like, oh, yeah. guys, come on. You know, we all should know a whole lot better than that. I think it's, it's not, not very useful. Yeah, it's depressing. And it's not just uh, in economic matters. It's in all <laughs> kinds true. of matters. That's that's sort of, I, I forget how it was phrased, but I, someone said the other day, whenever, if you're, everyone listening will have a expertise, a, an area of specialization, mm-hmm. an industry that they work on. And, you know, you tend to pick up mm-hmm. a few things over time. Mm-hmm. And whenever you hear the media report on your industry, you often roll your eyes going, oh, you completely miss it. Yeah. <laughs> but when they report on things outside of your circle of, yeah, of competence, so you think, oh, wow, that's interesting. I read that. It's yeah, sort of, it's a so good true. reminder that, you yeah. know, a, a lot of, and I'm not having a go at journos here. It's mm, got, a, it's mm. a very tough sort of role. There's a lot of stuff to sort of cover, but mm, it is, mm. it is, yeah, it is a little bit depressing. Uh, one thing I wanted to pick up on what you were saying there mm. before was the calls for being sacked and the rest of it. To me, that's really concerning. Not Again, not because I, I, I think he should or shouldn't, but mm, mm, that's, 
what politicizes what needs to be an independent yeah. role. Yeah, correct. And correct. and and wherever we sort of had this little little back and forth on on Twitter about this exact kind of point where it's mm. sort of like it's implicit it's implied in the sense whereas if you're my boss, now you don't get to tell me what to do in my job, mm. but you do you're the one who appoints me and you're the one decide if yeah, I decides if I keep right. oh, I'm gonna keep you happy. You know, like if, yeah. if I value my job, I'm gonna try and do that. And it just especially when you start seeing um, a bit of public unrest, fairly or unfairly, and then the, the reaction is, well, you're going to get fired. It, it's it's going to lead to very bad decision-making and outcomes. Mm-hmm. Whether it's low or you put someone else in the chair, it, they're, they're going to be so overtly aware of that phenomena mm-hmm. that you're where you should be making, again, purely independent decisions for the good of the economy, even if it's tough decisions that need to be made, yeah. that's going to, it's it's just going to change it to my mind. I think that's that, that's probably that's probably right. I, I mean, I think you know, I, I I I'm probably a little less cynical than you in the sense that I think they are absolutely doing what they think is right, and and they're trying to be independent the best way possible because frankly, he's been there for seven years. He gets a million dollars a year. He doesn't need the job, right? So yeah, you know, does he like the notoriety? Sure. Does he like feeling productive and like he's in charge? I'm sure that's also true. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he is doing his best to be. Oh, that's yeah. I agree. Not even independent. Yeah. Do the right things, irrespective of political pressure. Whether whether we can ever it's avoid the, it. It's just that subconscious. Right. I, I think I'm not. Yeah. Again, I'm not. I'm not saying he is. He is a political slave or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But it's yeah. just that, those those factors are, are there. Can yeah, I tell you too? Well, who doesn't get enough attention is yeah. APRA. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Oh, but, um, uh, yeah. Go on. APRA, APRA. Right. Did you see this? Right. So they, they, there's a thing called a serviceability buffer, and yep. that just basically means it says to the banks, whatever your interest rate is, and you're assessing a new loan, uh, add add three percent to it. Yeah. Because for a 25 year mortgage, and nowadays 35 year mortgages, which oh, is a whole yeah. other thing that we can oh, we can man. kick around. Yeah. Madness. Um, there's a chance that interest rates might go up over a multi-decade period. So we need to make sure that if that were to happen, again, it's not based on forecast. It's just a just in case. It's a margin of safety. It's that kind of thing we talk about in investing all the time that you're going, you're not going to be insolvent and and thrown to the wall. And so they actually lowered it a little while ago. I think it went from three to two and a half percent. That doesn't sound like much, but when you do the maths, it actually allows you to, to borrow a lot more. The worst thing about um, that, that was done at, at the point in time at which rates were 0.1%. So not only were, low, were rates historically yes. low, I think yes. effectively record low, certainly post-war, at exactly that time when the buffer should have been larger rather than smaller, they lowered it. And so, and I think they corrected that. I think just a month or so ago, that was uh, uh, re- returned. It was like, oh, and again, none of this got any coverage whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but then I, I saw in the fin the other day that there there's calls for it to be lowered again. And it's just like, what are you doing? This is madness. You've got you've got to have some some flex and some safety in the system. And it's, yeah. it just it just as you know, I've been a little bit bearish on property yep. Yep. for a little while. And I think one of, <laughs> it's good to sort of look back at uh, some of your assumptions and, you know, what mm. what went wrong. And I think I've, I'm, I fall into the Steve Keen trap, which is you look at things and you go, well, if everything continues as mm. it will, this is going to end really badly. Yeah. What what you don't, well, I, I don't think I em- emphasized enough was just the amount of um, influence that 
that can be things can be changed, right? Yep. So it's sort of yep. like if if you left this to its own devices, and just the law of of, of you know gravity is going to sort of collapse the whole thing. But right. the government's going to come in and, and remove stamp duty, and, or it's going to come in and give first home buyers another big grant, or it's going to reduce yeah, serviceability correct, correct. buffers, or it's going. And it's just every time there's been this sort of really worrying point in the market that's come out of left field. I expect as interest rates continue to rise over the course of this year, and as I've said, I, I pretty much think it'll flatten out and probably even roll over at some point uh, mm. after that, because it, it kind of mathematically has to, unless you really want to bomb everything in, in, in um, into smithereens. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. What's my point? My, my, my point is is that it's everything will be done under the sun. Mm. To do it, be not because it's smart, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's far less politically unsavory than the alternative, which is just to wipe out <laughs> yeah. two thirds, you know, a very significant chunk of the population, and then and then, uh, yeah, you don't you don't want you don't want that. And kind I, I would of only thing I would only hand. add to that, mate. Uh, to, again, uh, to be a little bit less cynical, um, it, not only is it politically unpopular, but it would actually cause massive amounts of economic harm. It would. So there's, yeah. just, there's just a, there's a, there's a moral there's a reality, but, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and and frankly, moral responsibility, right? This is this is I I am you know what I'm frustrated by mate is is policies of ten or fifteen years ago, and not not specifically that period of time and and whatever, but the idea that once you get to a position like this, a bit like, it's like inflation and rates themselves. There is no good outcome on housing policy because of the circumstances that were created. You mm -hmm. get to a situation where to solve these sort of things, you have to create more meaningful pain that could have been simply avoided by not getting in this situation in the first place. Yep. And shouting at the moon is not very useful at this point because it is no. what it is. And yep. so, and this is the problem for low, as you know. But couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't they have? Yes, that, yes, that's all, those things can all be true. We can argue about the past. Yep. Right now, on the on the whatever the you know seventeenth of February when this goes live. Uh, Phil Lowe's got a choice to make. Do mm -hmm. I put rates up, down, or stable at this point? Yeah, they mm -hmm. should have got to that point. Sure, but we are. Yeah, but mm -hmm. rates shouldn't have been that low. Yes, but, but here we are. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's not, just, not to excuse at all. People, I've said that before. People said, oh, well, you're just giving. No, I'm not giving you a, a, a free run. They made mistakes, outright mistakes. Government made stupid mistakes. Um, the RBA made stupid mistakes. And yet here we are. So what do we do now? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's, they shouldn't have done. Yes, I, I know. I get yeah, it. Yeah. But yeah. we are here. Well, you know, we are where we are. You know? Yeah. Totally. Um, we got lost. We should have used a map. Yes, we should have. But we're now we're lost. How do we get home? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's that kind of stuff. But that's what annoys me about property, but also about the economy more broadly is just that idea of it's really, I get people's frustration. It's really frustrating. You look back and go, oh, man, I wish they hadn't screwed this up. Because if they hadn't, we wouldn't have to do X, Y, and Z. And it's, and it's mm. absolutely true. To your point about you know, fiscal policy, absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, the, the buffer. APRA, APRA is, I actually think, mate, house price-wise, APRA is more responsible than anybody else, including fiscal and monetary policy. Uh, me too. Me too. Um, and I, no, well, I should say, when I say fiscal policy, allegedly, reportedly, the then treasurer did put pressure on APRA to lower the buffer. So mm -hmm. there's, not, there's not that free of political influence, allegedly, reportedly. I'm not saying that to be silly. A, I don't want to, uh, Allegedly disgraceful. Well, exactly. I don't. I don't want to slander the, the former treasurer if he didn't do it. But I'm. I'm. I have read it being reported, so I, I can only comment on that. Um, but I think you know the. You could so here's the thing: interest rates are supposed to put money into the economy and take it out. Mm -hmm. They're not directly supposed to influence asset prices. Now they do because we know, and you and I do this for a quid, right? The cheaper interest rates are, the higher asset prices go. All things being equal. The mm. thing is, APRA had the opportunity to change the all things being equal bit. Your point about the, the Steve mm. Keane mistake and your mistake is mm. the, the reverse could have been true. They could have said when rates are 0 0.1, let's increase the buffer. 
Yeah. Because if you increase the buffer, you don't change the amount of cash in the economy. People yep. can still, it's still cheaper to borrow. So you can still put more money in the economy. When rates go up, it's more expensive to borrow. Some money comes out of the economy. Yep. You could have done all that and had absolutely zero impact on, not exactly zero, but close on zero impact on asset prices, house price in particular. House prices, If APRA yep. had just said, hey, as rates go down by 2%, let's put the buffer up by 2%. Yep. In that case, house prices wouldn't have changed because the borrowing capacity wouldn't change, but you would spend less of your money on a mortgage. Macro and by pre- the way, on the way back up, the same thing would happen. As rates go up, you lower the buffer so you don't push prices down. Both those things can be true at the same time. You don't cause massive unaffordability. Then you don't cause massive negative equity. You just have a, yep. a much more stable scenario. It was entirely possible, entirely foreseeable, and entirely within their power to, to make that decision. It's zero coverage. I mean, yep. it's just they're, they're called macro prudential controls. It's a yes. big word. It just, it just, and it's it's so much more sensible because this is this is the reality that Lowe's dealing mm-hmm. with here. He needs to slow things down, right? But in doing so, because it's such a blunt, broad tool, he's basically just, you know, imparting huge strain on households <laughs> and spending and all of this other kind of stuff. And it just, the, the problem we had before is just that because there is so much housing debt out there, there's only so much that he can do there without really risking things collapsing. So it would be a far more effective tool if there wasn't this mountain of debt on households. And there wouldn't mm-hmm. be this mountain Correct. of debt on households Correct. if there was just some prudential lending requirements around that. Again, it's not about, it, you've got to, you, first principles, right? This is about shelter and homing families, Correct, <laughs> the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. We just, yeah. we've now gets just an asset class, right? It's just something yeah. to, to speculate on, but that's, it's madness, mate. And it, it, it actually, um, there was another point here just to sort of um, talk from my own experience for a second. Mm-hmm. There was there was in the AFR yesterday, I think it was, they're talking about rent changes <laughs> yeah, in capital yeah. cities. 29% increase in I, Sydney. I almost don't believe that. I, and maybe, maybe I believe it because well, I'm seeing it firsthand. Right? Yeah. I just, yeah. And that's in a year. Like that, they are extraordinary numbers. I don't say I don't believe it. Like yeah. I don't want to be true. I'm not, I'm not trying to oh, disparage true, you about the article. Mm. But I honestly, mate, I was, I don't rent, obviously. I was blown. I, I, I find it hard to believe that a price of, of some, so massive a, a an expense could yeah. have increased that much in, in 12 months. I, I, I'm still, I, I, I'm still almost skeptical just because of the sheer magnitude of that change. And I'm not saying it's wrong. And to your point, if you're living it, I'm sure it's right. I just, I looked at it, I was like, surely it can't be that bad. But obviously yeah. it is. It, I, it is. I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things where I think average rents in Sydney is something like 700. Sorry for the for the homeschool bias here, but you know, you've got to talk about what you know about most. So Sydney, I think is the average rent across the whole greater region is 700 bucks a week. Yeah. So it only has to go up to, you know, 850, 900 or so. You get, and you're getting to that kind of thing. Now, it's a lot extra, yeah. it, it, but you, but it, but it's. I can say just we've actually just secured a house. So I'm really happy about. Which hey. is nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not really because it's because we're getting a lot less bang for our buck than we were oh, in the okay. current place. But yeah. but it's. I can tell you, having looked at dozens of houses, that that is that is the magnitude that you are looking at increases Amazing. in the last year of a couple hundred bucks. So it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I said on Twitter, you know. Um, uh, poo rolls downhill. <laughs> I'll use the nicer language. You did use the emoji. You did use the, yeah. little, the little emoji. Yes. yes yeah, yes. yeah. But it does, you know. And it's sort of it's funny too. As like when we're sort of talking to agents, they just directly just come out and say, "Look, the owner has got no choice. They've got to pass it on." It's like, well, oh, it sucks for them, but it, I guess it sucks for me too. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, but yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, mate. I, you know, what's I, there's a whole different discussion. I don't 
I don't know if you have some thoughts. Uh, you may, and they may even be they may even be unbiased thoughts, but I'm not sure. Mm, um, unlikely, unlikely. Well, no, I, I'm just I'm I'm fascinated by the the market mechanism of those rents going up, and it's easy to think. Firstly, okay, general inflation. It's also easy to think, okay, well, rates are going up, so therefore costs are going up, so therefore landlords are charging more. Mm. Uh, but then on the other hand, you've got the reality that the market will only bear what the market will bear. Mm. And yes, it's a competitive situation. Maybe just maybe just it's a maybe it's a very efficient market, and maybe rental is priced on the margins, and maybe that's just what it costs, and so that's what happens. And and as rate, the costs go up, everyone's costs go up, so everyone puts the rent up, and it just is one of those things. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's a relatively free market. It's a relatively responsive market. Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm just surprised that. I, not, not that I want you and other people to pay more rent, but I am a bit surprised there was a couple hundred bucks in that rent potential yeah. that that wasn't being taken out of the market before. If if you can afford to pay eighty four thousand dollars a year for your for your place rather than twenty thousand dollars a year, and and your landlord wasn't charging you eighty four thousand dollars, they should have been, yeah. um, or, or vice versa. Now again, it's a market, so you can't get away with a, a, a higher price. So on one hand, I'm saying, well, maybe the market's just working because it is reflecting higher costs. And because pricing is so efficient, it makes perfect sense. Everyone's costs go up, so everyone's base rent they're prepared to accept goes up. Uh, oh, do, yeah. you, do, you have, do you have any initial thoughts on just the the, the, the kind of competitiveness, the efficiency, the, the yeah, reality yeah, no, of, the, mean, no, of the rental so, market? So taking, taking your own selfish self-interest away from it all, hmm. market's doing exactly what they're doing. Because the other thing that was in that table that I tweeted out was not just the rental increases, but was the vacancy hmm. rates. Like in Perth, yeah. it's 0.4%. Yeah. In Sydney, it's 1.4 or something like that. Yeah. So, and again, I can testify firsthand. Others yeah. listening who are going through the experience will, will know there's mm. just bugger all out there. You rock up, there are three dozen families mm. out the door. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's it's sort I'm of trying to find a place. Yeah. So if there is if there is demand and there's less, whatever, let's say the demand doesn't change. There's just a set demand, and then the supply just keeps falling. I mean, right, economics right, right. 101. These rent, yeah. rents will absolutely go up, and they have gone up, and that's what that's what you would expect. Which again comes back to well. You know, any any sensible long term policy would probably look towards that supply uh, side response because it 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 has an impact. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not surprised at all that that that, that happened. And yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. it is. Yeah, yeah, good, good to know. I, so I was I was just on one well, hand, you would have thought if the market could have borne a higher price, that would have already been charged, which suggests either the supply and demand is working. Well, here, here's an. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Here's an interesting observation, and because mm. of, um, you, I mean, the, the practicality of it is, is you've got you, you, you're, the clock's ticking, right? You're going to get kicked out of your current place. You've got to find something, um, and and what what you find is mm. that there is there's a certain price range where you do get the dozens and dozens, mm. and then you go up a couple hundred bucks from there, or a hundred bucks, and then it's dead, right. And, and to me, this is a reflection of the fact that when it comes to house prices, that can continue going for a long, long, long time because it's not <laughs> dependent on the earnings power of the individual per se. Yeah. It's, it's, it's dependent on the borrowing power of the individual. Yes. And Absolutely. when you've got a 20-year period of structural 100%. falling in interest rates, I can just borrow more and more. We talked all the time. The, the calculus for 90% of people is this. Hi, Mr. Bank Manager. What can I borrow? You can borrow this. <laughs> that's absolutely. And then I rock around yep. to the auction, and then I bid up to that amount because that's yep. that's what I can do. So if if every every month or year that goes by, interest rates are getting lower and lower, I'm able to go more and more and more and more and more mm-hmm. without earning any more, without having to to make sacrifices in in other areas. With rent, it's different because rent money is coming out of people's wages and and salaries, right? And so I think you, I think 
can ha, has there been that extra flex in the economy in in the rental market? Well, obviously there there has, but just anecdotally and what you read in the press, I mean, I know a lot of people are doing it super super tough, and I feel as though I don't know where that line is, but there there will come a point where it's just sort of like. You can try and pass on rents all you like, and regardless of increase, insane demand for these things and, and limited supply, there will be a point where people just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. You just can't. It's just like, I'd love to have that lovely fibro two-bedroom <laughs> unit, the back of boat, but I, I can't afford $3,000 a week. I just can't do it. And, and so I, I, think, I think there is a bit of a ceiling there that, that, that is, is different in the rental market than, than is in the- purchasing market yeah i think that's i think that's right I, again i was just I, I was both impressed and surprised mate i um you know what's funny i so <laughs> speaking of being on twitter if you're not following us on twitter by the way I do it's it's fun and i occasionally have a bit of a bit of fun interaction often often not but just every now and again we have something that kind of crosses both <laughs> our 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 desks uh, our listeners by the way increasingly taking us both in some stuff uh one person <laughs> tagging us both uh, it was thursday morning in a in a tweet uh, that Warren Buffett's home had he had he not bought and invested the money instead in Berkshire Hathaway, it'd be worth something like a billion dollars or something. Just, <laughs> just fun for for a tone's sake, um, which I quite liked. And you know, the idea, some, I think the point was made, Andrew, that you're right about property. That uh, obviously property costs costs money, which I thought was I thought was fun. Um, but it was funny, you know, though. And this is your point about shelter, mate. Let's let's get a bit social policy just for half a second, because I think it's you know. I, I had someone say, ask me on Twitter, you know, I was talking about tax policy. And someone said, well, uh, sh- what, what role should... should uh, I said something like, you know, uh, something about equality and, and, and making outcomes more unequal in terms of tax policy. Yeah. And I was asked, well, sh- should equality really be a, a function of tax policy or, or, an, or an output or, a, or an aim of tax policy? And I said, yeah, it should, you know, is, is my view. And someone else said, well, you know, for, for a capitalist, Scott, you're sort of like pulling some socialist strings. And I just thought it was interesting because... You know, I we we invest for a living, mate. We are looking for companies to make a lot of money. We're trying to make a lot of money ourselves by buying those companies at good prices. Those things are absolutely true. I think the binary view of are you a capitalist or a socialist? You, you know, the, the idea has to be free, free, unfettered markets, and and don't mind the consequences, or you have to believe in a communist utopia. I think it's a really, really uncomfortable and unfortunate view to take and maybe in this increasingly kind of polarized world that is what people are thinking Mm. Uh, but my response was well actually no i believe in well-regulated markets with with you know fair competition and and high levels of competition because that's how we get good things and we look at a safety net for people who are impacted by it and and fair distribution of resources that that strikes me as a very okay view to have as a capitalist i'm not i'm not stepping away from competition is a wonderful thing that the efficient allocation of resources the that, that capitalism brings, democratic capitalism brings, is one of the greatest, I think, advances of human uh, humankind. Yes, a yep. whole lot of other stuff, right? Science has been spectacularly important. Um, Newton didn't need to, you know, work for a for-profit. Newton incorporated it to work out <laughs> that an apple falls from a tree. So I'm not saying it's the only option, but as a way of allocating those resources well to improve our standard of living, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. It doesn't mean... That it's survival of the fittest, you, you know. Uh, go to hell if you if you if you fall on hard times, or you're not born to the right parents, or in the right country, or or you have an accident, or or just stuff goes wrong, or you want to be an artist instead. Mm. Society is more than I said many times. You said the same. The economy is here to serve society the other way around, right? Yep. And I say that only because when you talk about shelter, it's a really important one. You know, yeah. do I think allocation of housing is important? Yes. Do I think the market should largely decide it? Yes. But when it doesn't work. We don't say, well, that's capitalism, bad luck. I guess that's the you know, don't you believe in capitalism? So, well, yeah, but as you said, can, can housing be a, a financial asset? Yes. Should it also be, and probably primarily be, shelter? 
kind of, yeah, like I believe in society more than I believe in, 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 you know, capitalism, right? Like let's start with the beginning point, which is I kind of figure that we should be, you know, smart enough, thoughtful enough, caring enough to actually look after each other and then find a way to do that well, i.e. well-regulated capitalism. Not yep. the other way around, not the whole, you know, survival of the fittest and if you get screwed by it, well, obviously you didn't work hard enough or try hard enough or sorry, you have to, you have to, you know, your, your life has to suck so mine can be better. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just think we can be better than that. I think there's a... I won't say a third way. It's a very political statement or a very political comment. There is a there is a point in between those two where you can mm. balance those competing interests in the interests of society, not just the only thing being that you know the individual doing as well as they can, and and you know the consequences be damned. Yeah, I I think it's the labels that are really unhelpful. It's like when you say capitalist. Yeah. I mean, I get where you're coming from, but but other, people will take that word in different <laughs> ways. So it's actually funny. I, I was yeah. in the car the other day with a mate I was dropping off somewhere and somehow we got onto this and I said oh no I'm a, I'm a capitalist and he goes no I'm against this this and what about all of this stuff and he sort of pointed to some of the weaknesses <laughs> of it and I realized well, well actually what you're talking about is crony capitalism I'm just yes, exactly. I'm just talking so about true. free and open markets here and and yeah. um, and a believer in in good social safety networks and the rest of it so so the, the point is yeah. that that it, it, these are nuanced subjects and it's not completely one end of the spectrum mm-hmm. or the other. So I'm I'm with you as well. What I would say though to to the the, the more uh I guess right leaning people is is that mm. I want good effective policy for purely selfish reasons. Yeah. And what does that mean? It's, well it's just like go go to San Francisco. I don't know if anyone's been to San Francisco recently or any number of US states. The mm. the level of homelessness is insane. Like right. it is just everywhere. And it's just like, I want to live in a society where definitely I, I, I want to do as best as I can in, in the society and, and be rewarded for my efforts. But I want to be able to walk down the street at night. I don't, I don't want to have to see, walk past others that are suffering and in misery. And it's sort of, we know that when there was a really great bit of research out, oh, I want to say last year. And again, it's another example of how some of these Nordic countries do things so well. But I think it was probably Norway. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've got a housing first policy. So basically, right, okay. it's, yeah. So, so well, you could kind of think about it. How hard would it be to get a job if you're living out of your car? You can't iron or your shirt or wash your clothes easily or sh- You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it mm-hmm. makes everything super hard. So it's not a question of just giving free money away to, to the lazy and the inept. And I think like, those kinds of ways of looking at it, I, I think are a bit wrong, but it's about, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. we all get dealt different cards in life. Some people are stronger, some are taller, some are smarter, some are more, you know, it's just, there's a whole bunch of different situations you just get dealt with on the genetic lottery when you're born and the geographic lottery and all the rest of it. So should 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 we have free open markets? Should entrepreneurs and people who create value get rewarded? hundred percent. Mm. But that you don't have to go all that way, you know, and you, you, you can sort of make sure others get a bit of a, a help up for them because it's a nice thing to do, but also because it's good for you. You don't want to be the top 1% in a really horrible country with a massive wealth gap. I'd rather be in the top 40 or 50% of a much flatter society where we're all rich and we're all prosperous and there's low crime and and the rest of it. So anyway, we're we're drifting back into our champagne socialist (laughs) rant again. (laughs) Well, that's the thing that's, uh, to your point about labels, that's exactly why it's problematic, mate. Let's not get too far in this rabbit hole, but I made the point before about wages, right? Like you should want people to be paid more if you want them to spend money in your business and you want to earn more profit. Like it's fundamentally, you know, in in the short, and this is the the short-term, long-term thing. If you're going to die tomorrow and you want the most toys, then by all means, campaign for a zero percent tax rate, yep. and then and then you know that's fine. Mm. At some future point, if you want to actually own productive assets, ideally the same shares, the same property, or different property for what it's worth over time, mm. and you say, okay, well let's let's move 
forward and say, how do I, how does my company earn more money in mm. six months, two years, five years, 20 years? Mm. Well, probably by having a prosperous society where people have money to spend, not again, to purely selfishly, as you said, not, not even for, not even for, for my sake or to make myself feel good. Because if I want, you know, if I want customers for my business, how do I get those customers? Well, I've got to make sure they've got money to spend. That's how it works. The classic um, example there yeah, is, is yeah. Henry Ford because he paid yeah, his yeah, workers exactly. well above odds for the day. Yeah. And was under a lot of pressure. I can't forget his exact quote, but it was along the line of, well, ultimately, they're my customers as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually benefits me to pay really good wages. I get like, much better workers, much happier workers, and workers with money and savings in their pockets. Maybe they'll buy a Model yeah. T as well. And, yeah. and so, yeah. It's, pretty, it's a pretty good point. Pretty compelling. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mates up, let's let we've gone way, way, way. Well, actually, oh, I, I was gonna say we've gone way off topic. Then we're about to go back to Commonwealth Bank and their massive profits, and they will be accused of other things. So let, let's let's go down these uh, let's go down these rabbit holes, or maybe change rabbit holes as uh-huh. as we might. Uh-huh. Um, five point one five billion dollars, a record, another six record for six months. That's not a, that's not a full year profit. $5.15 billion for six months. Apparently, a million dollars an hour is the number I saw uh, mm. mentioned the other day. Nice, mm-hmm. nice little catch-all. Uh, but close enough to it was $900 million a month. That's, yep. a, that's pretty good going if you're, if you're the an div- Australian bank. The divvy yeah, by, by 20%. 20%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, profit mm-hmm. up by 9%. Here's a couple of things that are fascinating. Firstly, how much is too much? Uh, but secondly, shares fell. 5.7% on Wednesday <laughs> on the back of that news. Profit up 9%, dividend up 20%. And if you're the if you're Commonwealth Bank CEO, you're like, I can't wait to give. This is going to be great. I'm going to look like a hero. 15 minutes later, you're like, I'm giving up. What, yeah. so what, what more do you what more do you people want? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, do, do I do I not do I not make you happy? It's uh, it's a fascinating. Are you not entertained? Yeah. That's the one. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, well, yeah. What more? Do, what more do you bastards want? Um, <laughs> it's so. Let's let's go to the profit first, mate. Um, I'm on record as saying I think we really, really want healthy, strong, stable, uh, relatively plain vanilla banks in Australia. Oh, we yeah. saw during the GFC what happens when banking gets out of control, and thankfully, and I'm going to say more by luck than than good management, the Australian banks weren't impacted meaningfully. We had some councils lose some money on Lehman and other things, but broadly speaking, our banks got through really, really nicely. Partly because they didn't they don't do these silly you know collateralized debt obligations, and other stuff. They're relatively plain vanilla borrowing and lending banks. Oh, they've got some proprietary trading desks where that sort of stuff can be done, but you know it is it is what it is. Mm. Um, it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating sort of circumstance. Now there is there is there is some a point at which it becomes too much. Uh, there's plenty of savers listening here who are saying, "Hang on, the banks have made more money, uh, mortgage rates have gone up, deposit rates are still languishing. I'd like some money on my savings, please." And hard to argue that in the context of speaking of competition, um, if house prices can can go down and you can still make ten percent more profit than you did last year. I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest to you that competition is working exactly as well as it could in Australia. Mm. But at the same time, as I was speaking out of both sides of my mouth, I'm glad it doesn't. I'm glad mm. we don't have banks with 1% profit margins where you know, we, are, we are very small distances away from the banking sector collapsing or getting close to collapse. We need to be bailed out by governments. I'd, I'd much rather than be healthy and, and, and profitable and significant. Um, doesn't mean I necessarily want to invest in them, although Commonwealth Bank's you know, been a, not hyper been profitable or unfairly profitable. But uh, what what a what you would expect for a reasonable business to have as a as profit? This is where it's these numbers are unhelpful. You know, five point whatever it was billion for six months, a million dollars an hour, or you know, it's it's obscene. But then 
Well, it is it is a hundred and seventy billion dollar company. It's yeah. a six. You know what I mean? So it's sort of you've got to you've got to put it in context. Um, and yeah, you don't if 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 the net margin on CBA was twenty percent. Yeah. By the way, yeah. so here's a, this is just true for investing in general. Whenever you see very high net margins, mm. there's two things that are go- or maybe a couple of things that are, that are few things going on there. One is that they've just found a whole bunch of clear water. Maybe you've innovated and created a new product that no one else has, and you just mm. you just got, there's no there's no competition, so you've got a huge amount of pricing power. Or it might be that you have some huge mm. structural competitive advantage. What, what what Buffett refers to as as moats. Um, and they're a wonderful thing. That's why we as investors, we talk about them, we chase them, because when you find companies like that, you can do that. But, it, but in reverse, it means that you know if you're seeing that, that's exactly something's at play here. And if we saw all the major banks earning insane net margins, you'd say, well, it's, there's, there's something unfair going on. Look, I'm already on the record of saying I think it is a pretty cozy oligopoly. <laughs> so it's surprising that the margins aren't, aren't higher. But there is, you're right, there is a point at which it is too low and there's a point at which it is too high, i.e. reflective of not effective competition. And if that is the case, well, it's us that are being screwed over. And again, the banks should be there to serve society and, and, and yeah. all the rest of it. But yeah, these numbers aren't, aren't very helpful. And I think the market's reaction was actually pretty sensible because the market always looks forward. And okay, great result. At the same time, it's like mm, funding pressures, mm, chance for increasing loan impairments, you know, mm. uh, all of this kind of stuff is is worrying for, for the market. And that's that's what the market reacted to. And, and I'm, I'm on the record as saying, despite the insane amount of profit that this thing sort of throws off, throws off in dollar yeah. terms, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's hardly cheap re- relative to- I completely agree. You know, I, I, I just, it's 18 on the PE ratio for a yeah. bank, which is a cyclical business, right? Like it is, it is by definition a cyclic. We don't know that because we haven't had a proper recession in 30 odd years. But trust me when I say banks are hyper cyclical businesses. Yeah. We're going into this very difficult period. Lots of loans are resetting. And, just, and it's just sort of like, that's again, not just call for disaster, mm. but mm. when you're trading at an 18 multiple on your earnings, there's a lot of optimism baked in there. And there's, we talk about margin of safety before. It's sort of like <laughs> yeah, things don't have to go too wrong but, but before. Not only is there a bit of a, a, a drop down in earnings, but then you get that squeeze in the multiple where earnings might drop 5% or something if you get it into a bit of small strife relatively. Mm-hmm. That's not a big deal at all. The PE goes from 18 to 14. Do the maths on what that is as a percentage drop in, in the price of your shares. It's quite significant. And so, yeah, I'm. I I wish CBA well. <laughs> I shall not be buying shares anytime soon. It's um, it's fascinating, mate. I so a couple of things. I want to I want to double down on your point before about the size of the business. And there's nothing annoys me. I suppose, I've been accused of being a socialist sometimes. Let, let me let me let me very clearly say some of the some of the uh, complaints about some of these banks or others. Um, I really, you know, Commonwealth Bank makes X dollars in profit, right? If there were 10 smaller banks that together made this much profit, no one would talk, no one would talk about it, right? If it was mm-hmm. these 10 banks made $500 million in profit each, mm. right? There's no conversation. Mm. And if they added up to the same size of Commonwealth Bank, there's no conversation. Just because mm. it's a single entity, there are, by the way, some competition issues that you've just mentioned. The, the cozy oligopoly is absolutely one of them. So by all means, have it Commonwealth Bank on that perspective. Mm. Where people say, look how obscene it is that one company makes this much money. It's just, it's just, it's just not very useful. There's no, there's no rule that says one company should be big to be, you know, uh, instead of ten or twenty or hundred or fifty or five or three. That you know, again, competition aside, that's a really, really good point. We see it all the time. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a granny at heart, 
but God love Greenpeace. They had to go at BP or one of those saying, it's obscene that one company should make this much money. I was like, well, if there was 10 of them, they'll make a tenth each. Would it still be obscene? Now, probably yes, but they wouldn't make the point because it's not a large number. Yeah. And again, we talked about we talked about the kind of the, the people having to go at Governor Lowe and the, the shock jockey that goes around there. I think we should call it out right across the board. So I'm happy to, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody's friend. <laughs> Nobody loves me. And that's, I, I don't mind. Um, Nobody loves me because I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be on one side or the other obsequiously, regardless of topic, right? If you say it's obscene that X company makes so much money, all you're really saying is it's big. Well, great, thanks, Sherlock. Mm. Yeah, we knew that. Mm. What's your point? You know, if, talk, talk about net margins, as you, as you just did, mate. Mm. Talk about um, the size of the market. Talk about the amount of competition. Don't just say X is big, therefore X is a problem. It's just, it's just yeah. not. Same with the billionaires. Oh, the, the ten world's rich people have this much money. Well, okay, but you know, this much wealth in total, whether it's one, ten, a hundred, or a thousand people, is is either the problem or it's not. The fact that there's ten of them or a hundred of them or a million of them, it's just not relevant, right? It just doesn't matter. Yeah. Again, talk about fairness, talk about spread for sure, but use the absolute dollar, and that's why they do it, right? They do it because they know they're going to get a a reaction out of it. Commonwealth Bank, million dollars an hour, okay, or ten state-based banks that made you know hundred thousand dollars an hour. It's yeah. not, not quite as exciting. You don't get the headline. You don't get the the, the shock response. I think, it's, I think it's a really, really important distinction. Yeah, yeah. It's the super profits. It, it's, it's the exploitation. Yes. It's the rent-seeking, I guess, an economist would call mm-hmm. it, that they're the mm-hmm. things that we need to to call out. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, this is where – this is what bang, I bang my head against the wall. People and parties <laughs> that are supposedly of the right and of the yeah. free markets and, yeah. and of the rest of it, it's like, well – you guys more than anyone else should be ensuring an open, fair, competitive market because that's what capitalism is. <laughs> and when you have any kind of regulatory moat around you or whatever other advantage that you have, that's that's where the opportunity for cronyism and and exploitation arises mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. you know? So it, 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 the great thing about free markets is that as soon as someone starts to earn outsourced profits, that's like a shining beacon to every other entrepreneur in the world going, oh, wow, that's an incredible industry and business. Maybe I'll do it as well. <laughs> that's true too, actually. You yes. know, and, and really so you, you get in there really and point. you do it. And then, well, I've got to capture some market share. So I'll, I'll you know, that might, they might get a 20% margin. I'm happy with 18%. I'm still going to make a fortune. And someone else goes, well, it's still worth my time to do it at 15% margin. I mean, that, that very act of competition is what drives prices down and ensures that you know, in, in a re- and this is why commodities businesses are so difficult because you pretty much just tend to operate with a yeah. tiny margin above above the cost of production, which shows you that it's a lovely, open, and free and fair market, and therefore a very mm-hmm. efficient one uh, in those kinds of things. But when, I mean, the great example here would be there, there are things like natural monopolies, like power lines and grids mm-hmm. are the, the the obvious example here because it just doesn't make sense to have three companies yeah, competing right. <laughs> with three different power lines running down down your street so they're monopolies monopoly and that's why they're so heavily regulated because if they wanted to they could turn around and say hey we're putting prices up 20 percent tomorrow what are you what are you going to do about it so you don't there's no alternative yes. we can pretty much name our price yep exactly. so for those kinds of things that's why we have regulations why we have to have regulations mm-hmm. why it's stupid to sort of apply free market thinking to that or prisons or you know other kinds mm-hmm. of things which, which are sort of natural monopolies, even if it's sort of geographically based uh, uh, monopolies. But I guess I guess my, my my point is is that if you want to rail at the banks, and I'll join you in railing at the banks, uh, believe you me. Um, but it's just not on the dollar amount of the figure here. It, it's it's more on on the profits that would be in excess of what a free and fair market should deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's I think that's pretty much spot on, mate. I think that's that's exactly the way to think about. It. So yeah, again. I, I, 
Do, do I do I think there needs more competition in banking? Yes, absolutely. Do I want it to be a case of driving margins down so far that the banks aren't stable, solid, and actually underpinning the economy? No, mm. I really don't. I think there's there, there's a very very I was going to find it's not a, not even a particularly fine line. There are just two different outcomes, and finding the right spot on that continuum I think is is important. It doesn't matter doesn't mean it's a a trade off necessarily. Mate, um, let's move on to something else. We've talked in the past about tech layoffs, and I I saw this week that Milk Run the the last remaining. Uh, ultra fast kind of delivery service. The idea of you know you, you, you they've got a small range. They go. I think I just duck down to Woolies or Coles, grab it for you, and deliver it to you in an hour. Really cool idea. Really cool service. Uh, one of the I, I was going to say one of the last standing gig economy companies, and it almost kind of is. Not not exactly. Last standing is probably too fine a point. There's plenty around, but delivery is pulled out. Two of their competitors, I think, went broke. Was it last April, almost a year ago now? Uh, Milk runs laying off staff because it just kind of kind of needs to get its cost base back under control. Mm. I I so this is fascinating, mate. I think it's there's so many different. We've talked before about the fact that you know if you have a good idea, someone's going to copy it. So Woolies mm-hmm. and Coles now doing really fast delivery and pickup. Mm-hmm. You know that they can they've got the heft and the size and the scale to do exactly what you've done. So you've added to the the you've, you've added to um, the satisfaction of a whole lot of grocery customers. Maybe you haven't mm-hmm. made any money out of it. Occasionally though, an Amazon or a, or a somebody else does manage Uber, I suppose, to break through and actually can design something and become a a big big household name doing something very different. So there's there's value in doing it. There's also, as I've said before, innovation is really hard. Mm-hmm. Getting escape velocity is so incredibly, incredibly, incredibly mm-hmm. stupidly hard. Once you do it, then you're almost uncatchable. And it's, it's yeah. really that, that it, you know, we talk about tipping points and, and I don't want to overdo it, but it kind of is, right? Because if you can, you know, for everyone that almost gets there and goes broke, like Milk Run's competitors, um, uh, eventually someone breaks through and when you do like an Amazon, you know, trying to be at Walmart at its own game, that's madness. Mm. Nobody says, you know what you should do? You should try and beat Walmart at its own game. You say, well, hang on, this thing's massive. It's got the cheapest prices. It's got the biggest market share. Mm. All these reasons why you couldn't beat Walmart. Mm. And you know, 99 times you'd be right. But then as soon as Amazon did become, you know, create its own momentum, also Walmart couldn't catch up because it was geared for physical locations and, you know, big distributed sales networks and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden it was like, actually, no, we can do this differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really, really fascinating to me also, Milk Run continuing the layoffs of tech staff. We've seen so many tech companies lay off staff in the last few months. Mm. Um, I, uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts, mate, on, on... We talked before about tech as investing and, and these disruptors as potential investment ideas. And we've talked also about the fact that at some point, these companies are going to start to pull out staff and, and cost themselves growth. I want to compare and contrast this because I, I own a share I own shares in a company called Corporate Travel Management. We talked about it on and off in the past, um, owned them for years. They put out their results earlier this week. We'll talk about some of those share market responses in a second, but just on the business itself. Corporate travel has actually carried, according to their own numbers, eight point, I think it's $8.4 billion in excess staff, a million dollars, sorry, in excess staff mm. over the last six months. Mm-hmm. And they did that because, and the, the company says, and again, we can only go on what they've said. They did that because they wanted to have the capacity when sales returned to serve those customers without it becoming its own problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, you know, I, that to me makes a whole lot of sense. And Milk Run's in a different position because it's probably burning cash. We've seen so many tech companies, Google and Facebook, lay off a whole lot of staff. And I, I'm, I own shares in Google too, by the way. I'm pretty critical of that. Mm. I, I, either they hired stupidly in the first place, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or secondly, they are responding to short-term issues, getting rid of staff that I, I, would, I would bet that at some future point, Facebook and Amazon and Alphabet's, so Google's parent company, Alphabet, I reckon their staff numbers will be higher than they were before these layoffs. Mm. So they've hired people, then they've sacked them. 
that at some future point they're going to hire more people and the headcounts will eventually be larger when they started for all of the grief, for, for in, literally grief for individual people, but for all of the hiring and firing and rehiring, the training, all that kind of stuff, I'd much prefer, and again, I own Alphabet, I also own corporate travel. I'd much prefer corporate travel's approach. I'd rather them say, we've got too many staff, but we're going to keep them because they're good people. We've trained them. They know the business. They know our customers. And when business returns, they'll be here to do the job. Yep. As opposed to the others who are saying, well, we'll worry about it then. It, just, it feels very short-term, very, very market-centric, i.e., I want to show that I'm, I'm making hard decisions and delivering the best possible profit in the short term. Yep. As a long-term investor, I don't want those people kept on. No, it's madness. It's absolute madness. There's, there's, look, there's two possibilities with some of these layoffs. One is because they have to, because we're, we're just burning through cash. And yeah. if we don't do it, we're, we're going to be insolvent. And I sense that's just, milk run problem, quite honestly. You know, right? Like it's, yeah, it, yeah. Now, that's different when share prices are through the roof and there's money sloshing around and you know, capital is mm-hmm. really cheap. But it's not the environment we're in anymore. So it's just if you do raise and you get manage to get it away, you're probably going to be doing it at a very high, highly dilutive price. But you have to do what you have to do. And so a lot of companies are sort of like, well, let's cut some stuff because that's a bad scenario for shareholders yeah. um, and, and comes with uh, problems. When, when you're simply reacting to the latest market, I want to say fad isn't the right word, but like this is very clearly. Close. Every single CEO we've <laughs> yeah, spoken yeah, to yeah. with Strawman have made this big point of how we're you know managing costs and, and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, that's 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 great if you need to and you have to and maybe even especially if you've acknowledged the mistake of mm. excess hiring before then that's what need, needs to be done however if the only reason you're doing it is because the last three idiot fund managers that happened to <laughs> have a briefing with you said oh we'd love it if you were cash flow positive oh yes sir yeah. and then yeah. we'll, we yeah. will we will go through all of that unnecessary cost distraction pain and then cost ourselves more in the future to yeah. make sure that the next six months is going to look better than it otherwise did it's just yeah. terrible terrible business planning um, so I'm 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 100% with you. Um, in fact, in fact, what you tend to see really is, and this is this is why we always go on and on about strong balance sheets and the rest mm-hmm. of it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know who's naked until the tide goes out, is the old yep. Buffett saying. And no one really cares about balance sheets in the good times. <laughs> in, in in the bad times, what tends to yes. happen in an industry? So. A lot of competitors uh, go to the wall, and if they don't go to the wall, they survive only by massively slashing mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Now, you work in that industry too. Your business is there. You're suffering through the slowdown. It sucks. It's not good. Mm-hmm. However, you've got oodles of cash sitting there in the bank. And so while everyone's desperately fighting to stay alive, you're building for the next run, right? You're, you're gaining market share. You're est- mm-hmm. establishing new products. You're doing all of the good stuff that needs to be done. And yeah, it sucks. No one enjoys going through a difficult downturn in, in your industry. But when it turns, as it most surely will and always has, mm-hmm. as we go through these cycles, you, you come out the other side you don't have to rehire. Mm. You don't have to retrain. That's right. That's you don't right. have to fire up the R and D labs and get the yeah. boys in the lab coats and to, you know to to start thinking of new toys and you, you, and and there's far less competition mm. and the competition that is there is far is far weaker. So mm. I agree. If if again if you have to you have to fine you, and then some mm. companies mm. don't have a choice. But if you don't, you probably you'll benefit short term, mm. but you'll mm. probably cost you longer term. Yes, I think I just, yeah, I, 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 I'm not even, I, yeah. I worry about, I've, I've said before, I really, and this is why it's so important, you've talked about before, we talk about capital allocation as, as one of the core skills and it's just so badly lacking. And I just think if I was to, I, I don't know, if I, if I could magically endow 
CEOs and frankly boards even maybe more than CEOs, not because they're more important, but because they're the ones who the CEO has to report to. Mm. With a couple of key attributes, capital management would be one, capital allocation. Long-term long-term vision would be the, the next. And I think honestly, yep. and let me, you know, we're talking about knucklehead fund managers. Um, the third thing I probably wouldn't doubt them with is, is the ability to see through the BS of the market. Yeah, You know, I, I absolutely don't blame any CEO who is a founder CEO who's been the, the guy who had a great idea, the girl who had a great idea, or who was really good at sales, or who was a marketing guru, and so managed to create this business, and or operationally excellent, and make, created this business. And then they, they were the head of product innovation, or the head of sales, or the head of marketing, or the head of operations. And a couple of fancy professional directors and a couple of fancy investment bankers come and knock on the door and said, let me tell you how this works. Mm. Mm. And you kind of go, is that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works. Really? Yeah, yeah, really. This is what you should do. Uh, okay, I, I, okay, sure. Yeah. And I don't blame, you know, you made the point before. I don't blame anyone who's, when it's outside their field of expertise for saying, these guys are the expert. The investment bankers, the fund managers, that's what they do. That, mm -hmm. that's, I'm told over and over again, the market is these people. Mm. And the market tells me these things. The market is smart. These people are the best at their game. That's why they got the expensive suits and drive the fancy cars. They're telling me this is what I should do. And mm. so I kind of think, Yes, everyone should be skeptical always, but I really, really, really don't blame these guys for just being getting it wrong and and misunderstanding or being having having a different version of the world represented to them. The really, really, really rare ones. The Buffett who says, "I'm not going to live on Wall Street. I don't want to do it, talk to analysts. I'm going to do my own thing." Mm. Or the CEO, the Jeff again, Jeff Bezos, owns shares in Berkshire, owns shares in Amazon, who says, "We're only interested in the long term. I don't care what happens in the short term. We're not here for that. If you want to talk about the short term, don't talk to me. If you want to be on mm. my board." I don't want to hear about customer things in the next three years. What I want you to do is tell me how to build this business over five and 10 years. Mm. Those people, frankly, if you find them, follow them. And mm. that's not the only way to invest. And it's not a guarantee of success. But the people who can put aside the BS of the market, and I said the market almost with a capital T, capital M, all the stuff I just talked about, mm. and actually kind of go, how do I just create value for my business owners? That's kind of, you know, that, that's why that is so remarkably rare, but also yep. so remarkably valuable. Doesn't mean they won't screw up sometimes. They absolutely will. But gee, it's, it's why it's worth looking for. Oh, mate. I, I have to give, I'm sorry to keep, I use this as an example a lot because it's just such a damn good one. But ProMedicus had its results out yesterday. Right, okay. And and just a, a few things you were saying there resonated. Firstly, they're, they're founder-led. So yep. you've got people right there from the get-go who haven't been taking their direction from, quote, unquote, <laughs> the market or investment bankers. yeah. yeah. Since I don't think since they've listed they've ever raised capital or not at least over the last ten years. So the share count's been about 100 million shares on issue flat mm -hmm. that whole time. They've grown their top line from 15 million to like probably be 120 million or something this year uh, in in since 2014, and they've done it while paying a fully frank dividend the entire time. Half of their profits they pay back to shareholders. It's actually a great income stock <laughs> because the dividends are up 10X over that period. They're getting a net margin of 50%. Mm, and, mm. and here's the point I wanted to make. They're hiring. They're, yeah. they're, they're expanding their workforce. They're getting out there right. and they're getting it done. And it just, it just sort of like, there's no coincidence. Objective Corp, OCL is the ticker, is another great example, founder-led business, mm, mm. great margins, all that kind of stuff. Just And-, and like so many, you look at the proportion of revenue that they're spending on R&D. It's huge. Oh, another great example. Um, uh, I don't own uh, this company. It's Ordinate. They do um, hmm. uh, digital soundboards and chips and all this kind of stuff for the AV industry. It's just an incredible business. 
entirely disruption disrupting their 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 chosen uh, industry but they've consistently spent 30% of their revenue on ongoing r&d over the time and right. and just getting it done you know and it's it's all these things that you're sort of talking about here where there's a bit of vision there's a bit of long term thinking they could be if i was the ceo of ordinate if someone made made for whatever stupid reason <laughs> made me the ceo tomorrow <laughs> i could cut the r&d and get rid of all my growth initiatives. Yeah, yeah. Probably get rid of three quarters of my sales team, mm -hmm. and do all that. And and you watch the net margin just explode into yep, the. You yep, know, yep. I'll be gushing. I have more money than I know what to do with. But it, at one hundred, the market love you, by the way. Oh yeah, we're one hundred percent the wrong move. Yeah. They have they 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 are the market leader by like there's them and daylight between them and mm -hmm. second. So wonderful network effects, massively one billion dollar market opportunity of which they've got a tiny fraction of, and you can probably safely say they all win just because of that. There's they're they're becoming the standard within the industry. This is also what's the biggest story of what's happened with Prometicas. Um, it's the same happened with with Amazon and real estate. Any of these wonderful, insane monster returns, it's when they become the market lead. They disrupt the incumbents and go on to capture the entire market or the lion's share of it for, for themselves. They're very rare, these businesses, and they're always expensive. <laughs> they're always really expensive. Um, but it, it just it goes to show you that when when you've got that scenario, the absolute wrong thing to do is to manage for cash. You want to manage prudently. You don't want to be de dependent on the good nature of capital markets to keep you afloat. But you 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 want to you want to be you got to spend money to make money, is the old saying. And when you've when you've when you've got such a massive advantage, you want to press that advantage as hard as you can. When your opponents are on the mat. Lay a couple more into them, you know, and just keep. Don't walk away and let them recover. Like just <laughs> hammer it, and and uh, I don't know. I think I, I think I've made the point, but this 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 is. I'm just emphasizing what you what you said here is just don't don't chase short term narratives, chase long term strategy, and do it well. And and they they are incredible wealth compounding machines. Yeah, absolutely. They don't even need to be necessarily startups who are bleeding cash either, by the way. I mean, no. you know, or no, I agree with this, probably going to be a great business. Um, Nanosonic's another one. They, they're reinvesting almost all their profits back into growth. And, and that adds yep. to the risk, right? Because if they don't yes. come up with anything, you, you, you play, you yes. play at, the, at the card table. You, you know, if you, if you keep putting back your winnings and put it back and put it back and, put, and then eventually you lose, you lose and you lose big. So these are not risk-free investments. But yep. broadly speaking, whether you do that or whether you... Uh, Dicker Data is another, another great example, right? Oh, little, great example. Um, I say little is getting bigger. But you know, just a little software hardware distribution business based out of Sydney, Southern, Sutherland Shire. Um, they just they just do their thing, right? And founder led, managed, founder led, right? Exactly. Yep. There's there's no and again, not every founder is going to make money. Um, Theranos was also founder led. Elizabeth Holmes is now That's spending true. some time at, uh, at at the pleasure of the U.S. government. Um, <laughs> so you know, there are there are. I'm not saying go go with every founder. What I am saying is, if you can find a good business that has promise, it's actually making. Delivering uh, zero is another great example. Actually, yes. by the way, Rodrigo yep. zero did a great job there. Um, you know, he's now moved on, by the way. So I'm not mm. saying he's still there, but they're just those businesses, generally speaking, very good chance of doing well. Um, and, and if they get it, if they genuinely get it and not push around by the market, very very good sign um, that they know what they're doing and they keep trying to build long term value. And as a long term investor, they're the sort of people, generally speaking, you want to be investing with. You've you've always got to like. We've all investing is the art of trying to predict the future, right? And that's always going to be very difficult. <laughs> yes, and correct, correct. it's going to be full of mistakes. 
So there's no, there's no guarantee. There's no proven thing that works every time. But I tell you what, I pay a lot of attention to momentum. Let me clarify that because usually when you Thank say you. that, people thinking of <laughs> price momentum on the charts and all the yeah, rest yeah, of it. Yeah. I'm talking about business momentum. When you yeah. see a business like, you know, oh, here's this little company. They're doing, you know, PAX imaging software <laughs> for hospitals and stuff. It's like, oh, and they're, you know, it's a trillion dollar market mm. and look how cool mm. the tech is. Like, okay, that's interesting. Um, there's no, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great products and great businesses that just never make it for a bunch, bunch of reasons. Mm. But once you see a few years of very strong sales growth and momentum and traction, mm. combine that with higher attention and all, and, you know, an effective scaling of the business and cost manager, all that, that, that doesn't, there's no guarantee that that will continue, but gosh, I, I pay attention to a, to a lot yeah. of that because it, it's a very good whatever hap, whatever the future brings, mm. you know that there is some serious wind in in their sales, and and yeah, it's often that kind of stuff will will continue. <laughs> you know, it takes it's a funny, while to turn yeah. a ship. You know, yeah, it's funny too. Momentum's a really good point. I. I want to be really careful here because we've seen we've just talked about companies that aren't making money that are having to raise a lot of capital. But I I think sales momentum, gross profit momentum are two of the more important ones. Yep. Not in isolation. Again, I want to be really, really, really careful because um, it can get, bring you undone. Yeah. But everything from these little guys trying to do things to even businesses like Flight Center, right? Like I don't own this one, but the idea of like a oh, flight's going to get killed by the internet because dot 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 has been around since 1995. Mm. Yeah? yeah and almost every year COVID was a painful I've mentioned this example before I think take COVID out of it but every year they just put bought more customers through the door put more money through the till yeah. and it doesn't mean it will go forever but it just when, when, when people give you this narrative of oh of course it's going to go whatever yeah. and, and people are still using it using it in larger numbers it just tells you the business is there it's got something you don't have to know what it is you may not mm. even invest in it for reasons that are, are different I think you talk about predicting the future. Man, I'm going to pick you up just because I know you, you'll want to be picked up. When we say predicting, we don't mean knowing exactly what the sales or profit line is going to be in 25 years' oh, time. We know exactly what the share price is going to be. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah. About, it's about finding businesses whose future you think is broadly, roughly bright and attractive and, and kind of worth being part of, right? And so that's, again, I don't know if I don't think I ever have. I might have owned it for a while at some point. Um, not, not recently, a very long time ago, maybe. Um, it's one of those businesses where when people keep coming in the door it's doing something right now eventually it might do badly and yes you've got to be careful of margins there's lots of reasons why flight center could and I'm not saying this is a perfect example of the future either but it's one of those companies where you kind of go sometimes just believe the numbers and i've mm -hmm. you know i've talked about this before but yep. I've, I've had issues with business i don't understand and i i, I am I'm talking to myself as much as our listeners here sometimes you know just don't don't, don't believe people who are lying to you don't believe mm -hmm. stuff just because it's you know mm -hmm. Test and verify, check and verify, as I say, trust yeah. and verify. Don't, don't but, trust, um, verify. Right, but but that idea of just, <laughs> hey, they're doing something right, people are coming in the door. Yeah. I don't I don't use Flight Center, but a whole lot of people are. And until yeah. they stop, that business is going to bank a whole lot of profit. And so, you know, don't discount that stuff. And, and if you see that momentum, just to your point, Mark, that momentum tells you that the company's customers like what they do, how they do it, and what they're charging for it. Yeah, almost by definition. And so you got to you got to be really careful thinking you're smarter than the market. You know, I know flight center can't possibly be successful because, mm. well, it kind of is, right? Maybe yep. it'll stop. And again, I'm not, not not saying it can't stop. Just it's just, just a data point. Doing something right. Yeah, it's a, exactly. it's a very valuable data point to know that history doesn't, as you say, doesn't guarantee anything, but it is a very encouraging indicator in and of itself that there's been a history. I've got to. I know we're running out of time here, but yeah, I've go got on. to give a shout out to Nick Scarley talking about founder-led businesses. Yeah, and getting away from tech. I mean, they make. Couches. 
for goodness sake. Mm, mm, mm. You know, it's been one of the best managed companies <laughs> on the ASX. I had, yeah, you know, right. being knocked around because of recession fears and stuff at the moment. But there, I talked about share count before. Their share count in 2014, as far back as this screen I have at the moment goes, I'm pretty sure it goes <laughs> back all the way to, to, in fact, it does since since listing. 81.00 right. million today, 81.00, right? Like <laughs> not even employee shares or anything like yeah, just right. flat as a tack. And yet at the same time, over that period, we've seen, again, I'll just remind you, this is furniture retailing, <laughs> 140 million in sales, then yep. to 441 at the moment. Yeah. paid a dividend every year and earnings have grown even faster. Now, if you were to say to me, is furniture retailing a great sector to invest in? I was like, well, generally speaking, it's probably pretty cyclical, pretty competitive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you were going to say to me, buy a furniture retailer, I know which one I'm going to pick yeah, on the ASX. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, just because, again, it's that one data point, but it's like mm -hmm. founder-led, tick. Effective past capital management, tick. Incredible sales and earnings momentum, tick despite various cycles despite various headaches you know and and, and that you don't want to you don't want to extrapolate over too short a time frames covid's a great example of this because everyone yeah. started everyone extra in the first instance everyone extrapolated to zero and then <laughs> right. and then we had a little bit <laughs> of a bounce the and then we sort of had these <laughs> these sort of like lockdown uh narrative sort of play and then everything yeah. went to the moon and now it's come back down but like you step back look at the yeah. forest and don't look at the trees there and it's like yeah. This is something's going on here, and I'm, I should probably pay attention. Yeah, none of this is by recommendations, by the way. No, and, and the other thing is price is so the then, other angle to this. Yes, I was gonna, that's exactly what I was going to say. And then there's price, and I think, but I think that's the right thing to do, mate. I think, yeah. you know, I mean, well, people invest differently. We do need to finish up. You can buy a crap business for a really, 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 really cheap price and do well. Yeah, right. It's it's possible. So I'm not even saying it's the only way to invest. And I've done bits of both. We've recommended some turnaround plays for some of our Motley Fool services, right? That are not businesses I want to own. Pacific Brands back in the day owned Bond when it was listed on the. Oh yeah, yeah. Just got stupidly bombed out cheap. We bought it. Recommended twenty three cents, sold it for a buck or something. I remember that. Was all done. Yeah, beautiful. Well, no, I mean it was a million years ago. But it was just you know I'm making the point. You can make money different ways. Generally speaking, though, you know, let's throw another Buffett quote in because we have to, as we as we say, contractually obliged. Time is the friend of the one wonderful business the enemy of the mediocre yeah, I love now if you're gonna be a long-term investor you know again the price matters but i'm gonna start and say hey what are some of the best businesses on the asx mm. not by the way the businesses that go up in price the most not the ones people like the best not the ones that are the most popular mm. that's not best that's just that's just asking the crowd what they think right mm -hmm. but literally what are the best the things you've just talked about mate yeah um and then say right those are the ones i'd love to own do i get off at a good price no okay well it stays on the oh, wait yeah, that'll change. That'll change totally. at some point. <laughs> or maybe it never does, and that's okay too. But if it doesn't, don't go and buy it just because, because you'll yeah. end up with only a, a great business, but a terrible result because you paid way too much for the shares. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to be, again, that's, that's the, the, the kissing cousin of that quote is Buffett's comment you want to buy a wonderful business at a fair price, not a fair business at a wonderful price. Yeah, I love it. And the same yeah. kind of idea. So don't buy, you're not saying buy a, a, a wonderful business at any price, or a wonderful business at a stupidly high price, or a wonderful business at an unattractive price. You're saying fair. Yeah. And then, then Buffett's, when Buffett says fair, he doesn't mean high. He doesn't mean average. He doesn't mean, but he's just saying, don't don't quibble over the last few percentage points or the last couple of points of PE. You know, if, if it's a fair price, well, buy it because it's probably going to surprise you with its quality and that's probably going to drive a lot of your results. Yep, 100%, 100%. And also too, that 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 is different. But you can buy something, it is, even with the benefit of hindsight, objectively cheap mm. and good value. But don't expect the market to turn around and agree with you the next day. Um, yeah, that's also true. That's, that's the other hard thing because is, it, it, it does is. take time for that sentiment to shift. You could have bought Nick Scarly yeah. in 2017 at around $6.30. And right. beginning of 2020, you're still at the same 
point. Yeah. Now, what 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 happened there? Well, the business was just marching along. It was just in 2017, prices got pretty inflated there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden it shot up to almost 16 bucks in the pandemic. And then everyone went, oh, wait, wait a second. You know, it's just, it's all <laughs> over the place. But this is, this is yeah. exactly the thing Crazy, that scares yeah. everyone off. And this is exactly the thing that makes being a direct investor in the share market so uh, potentially rewarding. I'd because be if you can look- ten and a quarter. I know, mate. I'm, I'm, I tell you what, it's, it's very interesting. I think they're in for a rough period. Yeah. But you ask me, you ask me, and this is the, the point, the where I always start with any analysis really mm-hmm. is I'm trying to answer two things. Is this company around in 10 years time? Mm-hmm. And is it a bigger, more profitable business at that point in time? Don't worry about specifics, that, but just, 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 if those two things aren't true, not interested. Yes. What's the what's the point of doing any other analysis or trying to fig, you know firm up that? But I've got to at least have a sense that yeah, it's likely to be a bigger business and the rest. And then you know, what are the risks? What can go wrong? Mm-hmm. There's a whole process mm-hmm. after that, and then there's evaluation. The valuation doesn't come until the very end because yeah. I don't I don't really want to bother trying to value something if I don't want to own it in the first place, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the market will give you you the market will give you that opportunity. The crazy thing is, is that when it does give you the opportunity, you'll be the least likely to take it because things will be scary. So, by definition, the mar- mm. you know you you can't you can't do well um, when everyone else thinks the business is going to go fantastic. You just it's just very difficult to do. So you you kind of need to have that contrarian bent to you mm. and that ability to sort of you know understand that even when you're right, it might take time for you to be proven right. And I say sometime like years, and it happen- happens to me a lot. Um, but therein, therein lies the chase, the thrill, the excitement, the potential, uh, and, and the reason that we do what we do. I'm going to add, we, we are so far over time, mate, but you made such a, a good point. I'm just going to underline it, then you'll do it, and I'll do it, and then we'll eventually finish 25 minutes later. <laughs> yeah. But um, think about Nick Scala, 10 to quarter times earnings, maybe they're in for a rough time, as you say. If you were offered the opportunity to buy Nick Scala's entire business for the current price, knowing you're going to have a tough 12 months, but that in five, 10, 15 years time, it's a much bigger, more profitable, more successful business. You take the deal. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm not saying you should buy Nick Scully either, by the way, I'm not, not, not making a bad Nick Scully, but it's a great example of, if this was a private business, if you owned a cafe, right? Mm-hmm. If you inherited Nick Scully now, you could sell it for today's price, probably the endowment effect a lot, right? And you could get the cash and go and do whatever you want with it. Or you could say, hang on, why would I sell this thing for 10 times earnings with a 7% dividend yield? Mm. I can get that, Maybe not every single year, and maybe it gets worse before it gets better. But this is you know, if if I don't the shares either. I've never recommended the company. If you like the business, if you like what it's doing, if you like how it's doing, if you like its future prospects, would you sell it just because the shares might go down or because business might struggle for a couple of months? Of course you wouldn't. Yeah. If you're in the local cafe, you wouldn't do it. If you're in the local news agent, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, I think you know the beauty of the market is you have lots of liquidity, but we kind of take that to its nth degree and say because I've got it, I should use it. Often yeah. it's like. The great thing about shares is you've got great liquidity, which you should never actually touch because the benefit, the beauty, the profit comes in the waiting, not in the buying and selling. The good and, one, and another thing. And another a, thing. A, a good analogy here is with uh, farmland. I know Buffett sort of goes, goes yeah, here a bit yeah. as well. So yeah, let, let's yeah. say that you're a farmer uh, and you know the region well. Um, it's good, fertile, productive land. But, you know, at the same time, it's farming. So, you know, the weather's going to do what the weather, you know, some years it floods, right. some years you have a drought or whatever. Yep, 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 yep. But imagine you get the opportunity where your neighbor's wiped out for whatever reason or just gives up because it's all too hard and sells their property in a drought. Now, the way the market looks at things is, oh, it's a drought. 
don't buy now. Why would you buy that? There's no water around. It's really, <laughs> really, really, really right. tough. The, the, the PE is through the, through the roof because profits are so low. Yeah. Why would, why would you be stupid enough to buy that? Yeah. Why yeah. would you do that? Now, yeah. as, as the farmer with a bit of vision, you go, well, actually, that's farming, you know, a land of uh, droughts and flooding rains. We're going to have these kinds of periods. What really matters is I think long term is this going to be a, a viable mm -hmm. plot of land. If it is, I'll buy it right now, even knowing that the next year or two could be tough because I get to the, 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 the beauty of buying it now is that I get it at such an incredible price. I don't want to buy it after we've just had a bumper rainfall and incredible harvests and that just – it's the same thing and that that's – that's how to look at the market. You want to be buying really attractive, fertile farming land when when there's a drought or when there's just been a flood. Because unless, you know, climate change debate, <laughs> debates aside, assuming this is just the normal sort of ups and down cycles of, of, of uh, the climate, mm. then that's absolutely the time you back up the truck. He has been Farmer Andrew. I have been Farmer Scott. And thank you for listening to the Motley Fool Farming Podcast. Oh, thank you for listening to Motley Fool Money. We hope you've enjoyed it. I'm not going to ask him if he's going to come back on Sunday. I'm going to make him come back on Sunday whether he wants to or oh, not. But until then, stop me. full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.